Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the second hour of Ghost Chronicles Radio. Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, the unbelievable, and all that stuff. And with me is not Anne. She's in North Carolina, get marrying off another one of her puppies. So there you go. Joining me is my co-host from the International Show for twelve years now. I guess is Mr. Steve Parsons. Well, howdy, y'all. Twelve years is it? Twelve years. Uh, th- Two thousand thirteen. God bless us. God no, bless us. God bless America. 14 years unbelievable so steve i i how do i mean why how did you... we meet no no <laughs> uh yeah well, i'm still getting over it do you remember our said first date, steve <laughs> I, i'll tell you what though um what? the second the second year visiting you we got uh you know you sometime uh what do you call your uh tsa not tsa uh homeland yes. security yeah uh, stops me at the gate coming off the plane from from London, and he said, um, "Oh, what's the purpose of your visit?" I said, uh, "Holiday, visit, meeting friends." How did you know these friends? Um, <laughs> known them for a long time, you know. We, yeah, but how did you meet? Um, well, Seriously? We, yeah, um, <laughs> kind of. Uh, well, we do a radio show. Well, yeah, I mean, well, how did you meet? Was it in a bar? I went, no, not that kind of friendship. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> In case you missed it, Richard Felix was uh, Steve and I's guest on the international show. Uh, catching on uh, Apple yeah. or, or Apple Vivo Music, or, as it's now called. Apple Music. Yeah, I'll never get over that. Uh, it's uh, it's Apple on a Radio? bunch. Of, it's up. Oh, Apple Radio. It's on a bunch of things. So yeah, just, it's, it's on it's Apple. Good. If you got if you've got an iDevice, it's there. Okay, there you go. Podcasts. So, yeah. So, how did the 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 British come up with these wonderful ways of torture? I mean, who the hell thought of you mean most haunted? No, not most haunted. <laughs> drawn and quartered and and all. Oh, we didn't invent them. Good well, who gracious! Them? Where the hell they come up with this? We crap? imported we imported them from Europe mostly, and they oh. imported them from the Far East. Um, but a lot of these uh, medieval tortures, the um, what was the purpose of them? Well, do you know? We'll just address a historical elephant in the room here. We didn't actually torture that many because, for most of our history, it's been illegal. Um, but we did use the torture on occasion when it was sanctioned by the king or the queen. Uh, but but this idea that we we you know you go into these castles and they've got the dungeon and the 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 torture chamber, yeah, they're tourist attractions because torture was was no not no it was oh god now I can't think of the name of it. Now, torture was used, but it was incredibly rare after about thirteen hundred. Um, it was more there common was, before then. Yeah, there there is one castle. Oh damn! What's the Chillingham name of that? Castle? 
No, it's it was the seat of see what they did back in the day. The castles, uh, they would have these castles and the sheriff. Uh, yeah. They would have these sheriffs that would run the the count. You got to correct me because you know I'm screwing this all up. But they had the and they would have these traveling courts where the the judges would come in twice a year, yeah. and they would get these people and they would put them in the in these dungeons until they came. A lot of people died before waiting for a trial, and. Oh, yes, there's a big power. Sh- and in fact, they made a prison and the, and the prison just went unactive about a few years ago. Lancaster jail. Lancaster. Thank you very much, Steve. Where yes. they, they, they put the witches from Pendle Hill uh, yes. in, inside and uh, they didn't leave them to rot, but the conditions in the prisons, I mean, they weren't just castles. Uh, if you, if we go back to the sort of the Norman era, the, mm-hmm. uh, and then through to Edward. So from a thousand to 1200, um, castles were, uh, much more predominant, much more predominant and were run as kind of mini kingdoms, right. um, at, at, at the level, you know, the County level. And there, the Lord of the Manor could basically do what he'd liked, uh, and he was he was answerable to nobody. And most castles of that period, all castles of that period would feature a, they would have a dungeon and there the prisoners would be thrown in and they would be tormented rather than tortured. And they were tormented by being made to stand up to their neck in water for until or just forgotten about. And many castles have this really horrible um, feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, called an oubliette now the yep. oubliette is basically a hole in the floor uh that's barely big enough to to stand up and you certainly can't kneel sit or or gain comfort in any way and you were basically thrown in um yeah. and forgotten about that was it you were just left uh there was no light there was no water there was no food you well the water you might be up to your neck in cess uh yeah. but but you weren't given any anything else. Sometimes to prolong the torture, they did feed them once a day. They would throw them a scrap of bread or some scraps from the table. Um, and that was it. You were forgotten about. And in fact, oubliette, I think, means um, to forget from the French word. And we again, we didn't invent it. We because of the name um, gives you a clue. French. We got we invented. We, we borrowed that one from the French. Yeah, but, uh, but by the time we French by the time we get to um, Normans were French. Well, yes, they were. Um, but by the time we get to uh, about fourteen hundred, um, these these ideas were you know these these regional fiefdoms where the Lord could basically get away with what he wanted um, had been done away with. Mm-hmm. And we started to to develop a system of law. But the law, you know, people were thrown into jail. But the jail was a hellishly unsanitary place. It was right. you would be at the mercy of the jailer. Um, you were if you had no family, if you had no means to support yourself, basically you starved because it was up to your family to feed you and to clothe you and to bring you things in or to pay the jailer to do it. And often the jailer would just steal the money anyway. Um, and so when it came to the Pendle trials, which were in the 17th century, mm-hmm. what, what, what essentially happened is the women were all rounded up and they were thrown into the, uh, the cells and, uh, 
awaiting their trial by what was called a circuit judge because he traveled in in a circuit around the towns um and they were elderly they were ill they were in poor health grandmother was they they had you know i mean they had if you had any form of uh infirmity or any form of disease or illness you know you were not going to survive there were rats there was illness disease malnutrition there was no heating um you weren't given a blanket you weren't given meals regularly and that's what that's what killed people um plus by the time we get to the um a little later on um we instituted a, a series of what was called hard labor so you would you would get these people to to work to earn their keep whilst they were you know if you were feeding them then you wanted something in return so or you would give them menial tasks to do, like you would give yeah. them large boulders and a big hammer and they'd have to turn it into lots of small gravel. Mm-hmm. Um, or they would be made to walk the wheel. Now, the wheel was was essentially just a big... Imagine the, um, the wheel on a paddle wheeler, a Mississippi mm-hmm. paddle wheeler, but with, with many more sort of, um, blades on it. And, and it was weighted so that it wouldn't move quickly. And people would endlessly walk the wheel they would step after step after step after step for four hours or six hours and they have a half hour break then they would repeat it and they would repeat that every single day mm-hmm. um and they were the sort of punishments that were that were quite common and on top of that you still had very insanitary living conditions you know you might have had a, a rough woolen or hessian sack as your bedding and your blanket you had certainly had no pillow meals were regular um you were provided with three meals a day usually just sufficient to live on uh, but the law prescribed that you got three meals and you did in fact get three meals and the uh, more the more wealthy people could actually <laughs> yes take care of themselves they could you know well bring you know if, if we look yeah. at if we look at the um the tower of london britain's most famous um prison because that's primarily its role and function and it was a prison up until world war ii um and in fact the um some of the last executions in britain took place inside the tower of london where people where spies were were um shot for treason um now there there are many accounts written down by the prisoners where they could bring in servants they could bring in, you know, their retinue. They could bring in a chef. Uh, they could have all manner of luxurious foods brought in and books and firewood and blankets and tapestries for the walls because some of them were there for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, and they weren't going to be executed. I mean, if we take the case of some of the, you know, the earls and the lords, Sir Francis Drake, although he did ultimately get executed, um, you know, He'd been in and out of that place with Raleigh for, you know, I think he'd been in three times. Um, Yeah. So if you had the money, you could you you would be all right. You know, it was like just having you were allowed out. You know, some of them were allowed out as well to go and visit people and provide you had to be back in again at the end of the day. So it was kind of just like a modern open prison is today. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
it was an expensive proposition because right. you know you were you had to pay for everything and then they came up with the idea when they had problems with the prisons and they, they were overcrowded and then they, they stopped some of the executions they decided to you know ship them to australia and what you would do is is you would get sentenced and then your sentence would be changed to so many years in australia sometimes for for life but uh you would work in Australia until you paid off your your yeah. uh, sentence. Very, very few people ever returned. Um, yeah. You might only be sentenced to something like, it was called sentence to transportation. Yes. Now, what would happen, you could get that for, I mean, on, but in the 17th century and 18th century, um, even into the era of, of uh, Charles Dickens, mm -hmm. something like um, stealing uh, pickpocketing, stealing a loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. um, there was there was a, a whole ton of crazy rules. There was one hundred forty three crimes that you could, yeah. That you and some of them were ridiculous too. Absolutely. And, well, in fact, including stealing a loaf of bread or causing uh, injury to a horse. Yeah. Now, one of them was impersonating a pensioner in the town of Lancaster. We, we still have some ancient laws on our statutes today. But uh, but what would happen is, and this this spectacularly, actually, it backfired against um, quite a notable researcher uh, and author um, last year. They really? had they had written a book saying how, how terrifyingly uh, harsh the British legal system was, that we executed children and we executed women. And it was, um, you know, a, a vicious, nasty uh, legal system. And the researcher, who was an American researcher, going through, was going through the archives. Makes sense. And had seen uh, sentenced, um, sentenced to be executed. And uh, it ended up, uh, and it's recorded as sentence carried out. Yeah, but uh, they were ship transported instead. But, but exactly. Um, but they were transported because yeah. due to a, a legal quirk, um, a lot of transportations, uh, first of all, you had to be, uh, for some crimes, you had to be, first of all, sentenced to be executed. Yes. And then you would automatically, that would be commuted to transportation. Um, so the, 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 the official record would just simply say sentence carried out. Now, this looked yeah. like we were, we were executing all and sundry. And ch including uh, children, including children. Uh, there was an interesting case uh, on the documentation. A horse. Yeah, and on this this one particular case, these two brothers were uh, arrested and uh, sentenced to death for stealing a sheep, and they were sentenced to death and then transported to uh, Australia. As it turns out, after one of them had paid his fine and everything else. He went to the thing. He ended up starting a sheep farm, became one of the wealthiest people in Australia. Well, and <laughs> what's certainly true is that because, I mean, they might be sentenced to transportation for five years, seven years, 15, right. 20, or for life. Yeah. Now, at the end of their sentence, assuming it wasn't a life sentence, they could, in fact, they were free to come back. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of them Stayed. didn't uh, yeah. because they found that, hey, this isn't such a bad country after all. And while they were over there, 
they they weren't under the penal system any longer. So they were free to marry. They were free to set up families, set up a business, build a home, um, create a life for themselves. And they did. And, you know, this is why, um, to a greater extent, Australia, but also we transported, we transported um, to other penal um, around the world. You know, yeah. It wasn't just unique to Australia, although that so, is where the majority. Of the can world. I ask you something, Steve? Is is we have this this term here from the states uh, in the early days of our history of our country? We had indentured servants. Is is that the same thing, or yeah, is it exactly the same? Okay, this all right. So it's just a different term. That's all. Uh, no, we use that term here too. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, it's so it, it means exactly the same. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that, it's it's interesting. I mean, of course, uh, Lancaster, which is the documentary I, I happen to see, which they had Gallo Hill where they used uh-huh. to hang all the people. And then eventually that was changed. But uh, uh, the Pendleton witches was an intriguing case in itself in, in that they were all ratted on by one of the young daughters who actually was <laughs> also called the witch and not only the whole family but also their neighbors as well pendle is it's kind of a precursor to salem in many ways it is Uh, yeah you're right in fact the two of them stand side by side as a as a testimony really of paranoia and and how they you know this fear can spread through through a community it starts off with a girl who's walking home and she meets a peddler and the um The peddler does, I can't remember the exact detail, the peddler either, um, anyway, the girl places a curse upon the peddler. Supposedly. Supposedly, supposedly, because the peddler had said or done something that offended the girl, and she she uttered a curse. I mean, it's it's no no different than when we're driving along today and the idiot breaks suddenly in front of you. (laughs) I mean, so she does this, then the... um, they discover the peddler dead and the girl, you know, it was a very religious society um, in 17th century Britain, much as it was in, in, in new England at the time. And she begins to worry. Oh my God, I've killed, I've killed this man. I've killed this poor peddler man. I must be a witch. And she kind of convinces herself that she's a witch, but then another member of her family convinces her that actually you can't, become a witch you have to be inducted into witchcraft Mm -hmm. so somebody else is a witch (laughs) and so it spreads through the community as one person starts to blame another and and then old scores get settled well i i don't like you anyway and i i'm going to blame the you know my cow fell over last week and (laughs) it's your fault and then it just becomes well i've never liked that woman at the end of the road she's yeah i mean you saw the situation in salem um you know eventually tens hundreds of people are getting sucked into this this vortex um of blaming one another until in both cases, um, somebody came along um, in, in both in Salem and in Pendle and said, look, this is getting, you know, enough, enough, stop. And it just fizzles out then. People yeah. suddenly what, come to the senses. What they did is, is the governor's wife was accused of being a witch. And they, what they did is they said, well, you can't use spectral evidence as in the trial. So which is basically 
you know, just somebody saying, she's a witch, you know, my cow died or whatever. And after spectral evidence was thrown out, which uh, then all the witch trials just disappeared. As soon as somebody calls common sense and people Mm. stop and think about what they're doing, the hysteria goes away. And uh, I think in both cases, Pendle and Salem, you know, there have been um, public apologies for what for what transpired but it's interesting in both pendle and 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 salem those those poor unfortunates who got sucked into that vortex of witchcraft have given an identity to the town and made it prosper you know pendle is a huge tourist attraction and we know what salem's like Um, oh yes you know that without those events that took place 400 years ago would the town necessarily be as prosperous um, but it's also interesting that is that neither town, neither Pendle nor Salem. I was reading the history of Salem uh, a few months ago. Uh, that both of them were spent the next two hundred years playing down the events and trying to sweep them under the carpet and pretend it never happened. Mm-hmm. And it's only really been since uh, in the last fifty years that people that they've started to develop the tourism industry. Uh, based yeah. upon these these yeah, Salem events. tried to to uh to uh in in uh what's the word embrace their maritime history and yes. get away from and get away from their witch witch uh trials thing and uh but they soon found out that you know there's more money in witches than there is in maritime <laughs> museums <laughs> But it's, uh, I mean, another great mythology that spread, we go back to punishments as well, another great mythology that spread is, you know, I mean, you've heard the saying, you've seen the Monty Python sketches, burn the witch, burn the witch, burn the witch. In actual fact, that was that was particularly a German thing. We never uh, burned the witch here in the States. We never burnt a witch in the, in Great Britain. The Scots did, I think, one. Yeah, I um, think, yeah, yeah. The Scots managed one, and we did burn a woman who was accused as a witch, but we burned her for um, treason because she was yeah. plotting against. And so she was actually burnt for treason, not witchcraft. Do you remember uh, her name, Steve? I don't. I don't. Okay, off my head. But she, but yeah, she was. Sounds familiar. That's why. Yeah, yeah. But she was, she was burnt for treason, not, not, which so, was a, which was a. Um, what you know, what both, is the both deal about offenses. drawn and quarter though? That is probably most, I mean, oh, I don't. We, well, we we didn't use that very often either. But, um, but usually a high high we did um, profile I mean, figure. Well, for example, William Wallace. Yeah, right. Um, was sentenced to be hanged, drawn, or it, hanged, drawn, and quartered. Expl- explain, um, explain that. Right. Well, hanged, don't. drawn, and quartered is actually the wrong way round. It should be drawn, hanged, and quartered. But so what they are done is they're tied to the back of a horse or um, a cart or an ox, and they are basically dragged through the streets, um, picking up all the injuries and sores and this crowd of uh, throwing crap at them, throwing crap, and they're they're being dragged along the rough stone, and they they're getting badly beaten up by this. Um, mm-hmm. By then, at the uh, after they they've been subjected to that. They're then, uh, because hanging wasn't drop hanging um, in in that period. The drop hang, the hang drop, hadn't been invented. For, for what we're talking, hang and drop is mean that you're you're where uh, the trap doors pulled away and you yeah, suddenly yeah, fall. You go down and, and you travel a distance, and 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 it instantaneously breaks yes, the neck. You travel a distance to break yeah. the neck. Whereas 
you know, previously uh, hanging was you were suspended. And in fact, they a still use the term on a high yeah. sky and they pull the card out and you would just hang there. Or they would just put a rope around your neck and pull you up off the ground. Oh, that works too, yeah. So it was a kind of slow, nasty, throttling death that yeah. could take, you know, it could take a few minutes, it could take several hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what they would do is they would then hang them. Uh, so they would be suspended by the neck, which is still a legal term. When you look at the judgments made for people who were to be taken from this place, um, you know, for execution by hanging, the judge would always say you will be taken from this place and suspended by the neck until pronounced dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they would do is they would suspend them round the neck by the neck until they weren't dead. Uh, so they were barely alive, barely alive. Then they would lower them to the ground. Then they would revive them. They would pour cold water on them and, you know, make sure that they were, uh, a lot alert enough to uh, understand what was going to happen next and what happened next was not quite as gruesome as you might see in some of the hollywood they didn't rip uh well in fact they did in some cases but basically they would slit them open from uh navel to breastbone and uh well no first of all they would if it was a, if it was a, a male prisoner, they would cut off the genitals and force him into his mouth, oh, then nice. slit him from navel to breastbone, and pull out his entrails before his dying eyes. Mm-hmm. And that was done to Robert the Bruce. He didn't hey, shout. They, they, they used to quarter him too. Uh, well, afterwards, this is where the quartering each each uh, the, each portion was then sent to the to different major cities throughout the kingdom as a warning to anybody else that had similar plans and the head was usually put on a pike somewhere yeah mm. on traitor's gate in london there you go so but well, i mean you had to be a really bad traitor to get hung drawn and quartered or misunderstood uh, or Scottish, or Scottish would do. Oh, same thing. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, we have to take a break right now. <laughs> I guess you're listening to Ghost Chronicles. Uh, which one are we? Oh, Next Generation, <laughs> right here on Tojin and Parrax Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, three eighty six Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, fifteen High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very, very good friends at Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. We'll be right back after the following messages. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Parax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. 
two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Hello, Harry Price here. I've um, I've managed to get back. Um, so I thought I thought I would uh, I would I would join you jo join tonight with uh, that Colec fellow and uh, do this Ghost Chronicles nonsense. Uh, anyway, um, yes. Um, what was that again? Uh, I've got to go with bloody Conan Doyle again. Anyway. Welcome back to part two of Ghost Chronicles The Next Generation with your host in New England and your host in Wales because the real host is in the Carolinas. I'm right here. You no, the, the other one. Co-host. The real co-host is in the Carolinas. What host and that's me. Yes. There we go. Yeah, funny. Did you get a crackling in your ears while we, when we went to come in? It all went... Really? Could yeah. be paranormal. Could be. Could be a breakthrough, an electronic breakthrough from Speaking the other side. Speaking about paranormal, there is a rumor in. And there are lots. A rumor, maybe just a rumor. I don't know, but I understand that there's a new blue-covered ghost dog. There is. Coming in. There is. Yeah. I'm quite. I'm quite. I, well, I only got to see the cover yesterday. Um, ah. I I sent suggestions, but yes, you're right. Um, after because the first. After six years, um, I was reading through Ghostology uh, during lockdown and realized that it was getting very out of date, some of it, because yeah, techniques come and go and equipment gets better and the way we use it changes. And I thought this book needs to be updated. And uh, so I set about and updated it. Um, and courtesy of White Crow Books, the publishers, they were very supportive and said, yeah, we think it's a good idea. Uh, but then it was, how do we make it different? And um, as you know, Ghostology and Paracoustics, one's got a lurid green cover, one's got a bright yellow cover. And I said, we've got to make a blue one then. So we did the blue one. There you go. But it is, I mean, to be honest with you. Um, for the, well, for those who don't know, Ghostology is, is, is a book. Ghostology, the art of the ghost hunter. Right. And it's used by uh, uh, Lloyd Arbrack at, at the Rhine. So it's. it's well, uh, yeah. Um, it's do you remember well we, had, we had him well on. Accepted. We, we had him on um, the international show a few weeks ago. And mm -hmm. um, Lloyd had said that uh, Ghostology, the art of the ghost hunter, was vital to um, vital, considered essential reading for the courses that are run by him are that look at parapsychology and ghost investigation at the Ryan Education Center, which is down in North Carolina at Durham um, or based there. Um, these are the online courses, so you can go check them out and take part in them. Um, and I said, oh, you have to put that in writing. And he said, I would. And uh, last week, the publisher said, have you had any thoughts on what we could put in the back cover? And a little... 
I went, um, yeah, let's ask, let's ask Lloyd. Sure, <laughs> and generously, not? generously, he has supplied, um, as he, as he said, he would be happy to do. He has supplied some sentences for the back cover. But uh, what surprised me doing it? Of course, you didn't it... ask me. I noticed that's, that's okay, fine. <laughs> I can tell you what a great, great level it is for a coffee table. <laughs> well, I think, I, I think actually this one's yeah, this one's a bit got a few more pages because oh. one one of the things that um, surprised me the most when when you know when revising it, I thought this is going to be a really quick job. You know, it's a case of just go through it. Uh, change a few megapixels here and there, you know, delete pieces of equipment that have been... Right, get rid of the upscale shot. No, it's still in. Oh, God. Um, the, you put me right off now. <laughs> so <laughs> I started... It's going to be real easy, just deleting stuff. Yeah, and, and so I thought, I thought this is going to take me about, oh, a, a week at most. Ended up taking nearly six months because when you start at the be, you know, I thought, start reading it, and then they said, "No, I don't that bit and that bit, and if you change that bit, that." Uh, and eventually, I would say that although about seventy percent of it's the same, about ninety percent of it's different. If that makes sense, the content is the same, but the presentation of it has been changed and brought up to date. Right. Um, but you you touch and on, it's got a new word search. You touch on new new equipment and stuff. Everything. <laughs> oh right? yeah, right up right up to and including the Apple Watch. Oh, there you go. Um, you know, it's bang up to date to the present day and a little bit of speculation about the future. Uh, but oh, importantly, I was I was really keen that we that I um, changed the uh, the word search. Hmm. <laughs> well, I've made it easier for this edition. Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's important. To re- to reflect the standards in Ghost Hunting, I guess. Yes. <laughs> keep, it, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. So we, I would like to say that, that Steve and I have been uh, talking together about uh, making Ghostology as a online course available to... Uh, because that's how Ghostology um, started. Right. Uh, so I've, if 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 you think this is a good idea, then uh, you know, pop me an email at anyghostproject.com. I mean, excuse me, anyghostproject at comcast.net. Uh, or message me on Facebook and one of my accounts, and uh, let us know what you think. And uh, yeah, hopefully that will occur as well. Uh, because... I, I hope so because um, the book itself, <clears throat> um, and this is where you're to blame. Um, oh geez <laughs> the book itself was born from the course uh because many many years ago um there was we used to do a course called so you want to be a ghost hunter mm-hmm. um and it was popular people wanted to to uh, rather like your um your own courses you've run paranormal uh, csa that's right yeah. so um i i was it the second year I'd come over there? Um, and I'd pestered you to, I'll do a little bit of it one evening. Yeah. Um, and, um, bringing back painful memories now. Yeah. How many printer cartridges? So, oh, God bless us. Now, 
I was always keen because I remember sitting through dull lectures uh, myself that, you know, it's boring trying to write notes down all the time. And I'd, I'd seen that over here in the UK. So what we were doing was, look, you know, you don't have to write anything down. Um, you know, you can make a few notes to help you on the day, but you don't have to take anything away to try and remember it because here are the course notes. And I would give them the course notes on a CD-ROM that they could read or print out at their at their leisure. Um, mm. And I normally had one printed version with me. And as you remember, I, I, I sent a bunch of files over to you that we could run off as CDs to give to people, but I still needed a printed copy. Mm. And I had forgotten my printed copy, and you generously said, well, print one of mine. <laughs> and uh, on the world's slowest printer, I might add, no, it's more like, yeah, one page, uh, page an hour. Uh, and during that conversation, whilst you were pissing and moaning about the printing and, and the cost and the cost, um, all 80 something pages of it, um, you said, I don't know why you didn't write a freaking book. And that was, that was, that, was that was the first because I don't Well, I, the year before, I'd always made my my unique selling point was I'm not an author, because mm. every time I I went anywhere or did anything or we were on a radio show together, all you would get is and tonight's guest is author, 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 and everybody everybody I was meeting wrote a book. And I was you like, can nowadays. That's the cool and I was like, <laughs> now I don't want to write a book. You know, what am I going to write about? I'm going to write a book about ghost hunting. There's 101 books out there about ghost hunting for dummies. Mm. Most of them are written by dummies. Uh, <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> Zach Bagans, you if you're it. listening, my book is not for dummies, but you could do well for reading it. Um, you gave him actually a decent review. I gave him a, and, and a fair review, I thought. Yeah. I mean, if you if you have got a copy of Ghost Hunting for Dummies by Zach Bagans, you will do yourself no harm by reading it. You'll do yourself a lot more that's good. A, if that's you it's almost it, endorsing. But, <laughs> well, I am endorsing it because he never wrote it, first off. Um, and secondly, the information in it is actually you. If you know nothing about ghost hunting and that's the only book you pick up, it will do you no harm and it will improve your ghost hunting. Now that's you know that's an honest appraisal of Zach Bagan's book Ghost Hunting for Dummies. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you'd do better if you read Ghostology: The Art oh, of the Ghost Hunter, but right. you know, it will do you no harm. And if it's going to sell, you know, Zach's book will outsell Ghostology by by a factor of yeah by a factor of twenty to one. So, now. What I would, is is the ghostology the new ghostology available now? No, no. Okay. Uh, we we don't have a publication date yet. Or we're, we're at the final. The manuscript and internal uh, uh, all the all the typesetting is finished. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm trying to hope to do is to coordinate the launch of, or the publication of ghostology revised edition um, with the new publication that's coming out from the society for psychical research because they have a, a set of they published in 2018 a set of uh, yeah, so. notes, yeah, yeah. which is a set of um you know it, it a brief way of you know how to 
conduct a ghost investigation from start to finish from that first phone call or first walking into a haunted building right through to the you know what happens when it when it's all over and it deals mostly with interviewing witnesses and gaining the most evidence from each different situation in an ethical way but uh, what was coming up was an awful lot of questions about equipment, you know, whether I should use a K2 or whether I should use a 1394 or whether I should use an, an audio recorder and how do I do. Uh, so it became very apparent that um, a set of guidance notes were needed to deal with the equipment because equipment is, there isn't a ghost hunter that doesn't use equipment, let's be honest. And the equipment is a good way of gathering data and information and so the SPR responded by um, commissioning the publication of another set of guidance notes which are specific to um, making sure that if you use equipment then you get the very best from the equipment to help you with your investigation and because it's quite you know it would be nice to tie this launch uh, release of the two books because they they cross link between one another um, and so that's, you know, one's going fast and one's going slow at the moment as I'm trying to get the two of them to time together. Mm-hmm. Not easy, but it's working slowly. So and, anyways, uh, keep, keep stage tuned and we'll give you information uh, when it will be released yes. and so forth. So it will be it will be before the the fall of 2021. There you go. That's this year. So. The, uh, you know, going back to uh, our discussion with Richard Felix, uh, which was about ghosts and why ghosts exist. And also earlier in the show, we talked about torture and stuff. So are there any reports of, for instance, the Willis uh, Wallace or any of the people who have been drawn and quartered as ghosts? Oh, all of them. (laughs) Really? Um, Almost every last one of them. Uh, in fact, every every notable famous person in British history, um, virtually, mm-hmm. uh, from Admiral Lord Nelson through to uh, you know all of our kings and que- most of our kings and queens, um, and notable figures from history have, have have got have managed to come back. It's a bit like pop stars today, you know, Michael Jackson and uh, Rock Hudson and uh, hey. Um, Speaking of that, reminds me, didn't you go to school with Olympia Dukakis? I don't think so. She's from your neck of the woods. Yeah, so. Well, she died She died recently. I was just yeah. thinking about the red light seances, and, you know, she's a local gal. No, uh, no. No? No. Oh, okay. No. Well, I was no just like, I was listening to the radio the other day, and they were doing the obituary for uh, Olympia Dukakis. And she said, yeah. oh, born, born and raised in Lowell, Mass. I went, hey? I never yeah. so so quickly looked her up on Wiki Google Pedia, yeah, and uh, and thought, nope. hang on a minute, nope. you've got red lights, you've got a red light seance this week. No, next week, first <laughs> next week. But Maybe anyways, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah, and, and it is an Olympic year, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Has Derek come through through yet? Apparently he has. Um, Other than on the Derek Okora site, has he come uh, through anywhere else? Well, apparently so. There are a number of lesser mediums um, who've reported communications with Derek. Mm -hmm. 
none of none of which I think have ever been confirmed by Gwen. Um, but yeah, I mean, we live in that era now where, in fact, we've already had uh, one claim uh, very distastefully uh, done within 48 hours Prince of the Phillips? death of Prince Philip. Are you kidding me? No, apparently a group a group had claimed that he came through on the ghost box. Oh, of course he did. I mean, well, why not? We get Harry Price. Yeah, <laughs> At least Harry likes us. <laughs> That's true. But, uh, I could, you could, because of course, Prince Philip was was a was a man who was deeply fascinated with the paranormal. I was not aware of that. I knew uh, you mentioned his son was. He, he, uh, Charles is, but I yeah. think there's an, a large element of his father in there. Uh, Philip is more notable for um, his his interest in technology and science, mm -hmm. um, but he was a deeply spiritual man who had quite a strong interest in uh, what we would call ghost hauntings, you know, that side of the paranormal, and indeed also UFOs, or identified flying objects, mm -hmm. um, which we're about to get the lowdown and dirty on, because it looks like um you know in the news at the moment we've got all this new um u.s navy stuff uh yeah. and we've got this big report due out on the first of july um which was instituted by that um that that heroic ex-president of yours uh, before he left office donald um yeah who's uh we so that's all coming out on the first of july with what does the um the u.s really know about aliens well we already heard from the israeli uh, space program director who says that uh, the united states is in cahoots with the united federation uh, of planets uh, yeah you're just about <laughs> <laughs> well didn't obama because obama was on uh was interviewed by james corden um mm -hmm only last week and they got onto the subject of you know is there an area 51 and what's really there mm. and obama said something interesting because he said we don't have any aliens but there is a that but we do have stuff that we don't know about yeah area 51 yeah of course it's supposed to be it's, it's, it's their r d that's their their development stage for all this fancy stuff that's where the uh oh uh, yeah that reminds yeah. me uh, lockheed uh, Skunk Works accidentally released a video um, segment this week. Um, they did a, a video presentation uh, oh. looking, and it was, you know, one of these da -da -da -da, look at us, we're great, we're Lockheed uh, type presentations. And they, they included a segment uh, in the video that shouldn't have been there and it's now been taken out again. <laughs> uh, but this was something called, what was it called? Light dot. Um, Oh, Sky Speed, or a, it was based on a, it was given a star a Star Wars name, um, mm -hmm. like Sky Speeder, or anyway, um, it's it's some new UAV technology that they've been working on and they've been testing, and uh, they accidentally released the video footage of it this week. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Um, so yeah. So we have uh, i have good news for for you because there's a new uh uh supersonic jet that's going to be uh you can get a seat to the uk for 100 bucks so uh there you go yeah, MB... 100 bucks i've seen the i've seen the um oh have you have you I've seen, seen the, the i haven't prototype? seen the advertising i've seen uh well the the um yeah, rendering rendering yeah, yeah renderings of the yeah. prototype yeah it's like a stiletto yeah Yes. Uh, because like in fact, this is NASA technology again. This is uh, yeah. because they're trying to design an airframe that doesn't have a shockwave. Uh, 
or it has a a shockwave that doesn't blow everybody's windows out for a hundred miles in every direction. <laughs> but they've got they've they've come up with this thing. It's like uh, it's like a cross between a pen, a missile and a stiletto. Yeah. Um, I don't know about a hundred bucks because I think when I was yeah, looking at that's it, what they're offering right now. Is it? Yeah, hundred bucks. Wow. Well, I'll, well, I'd save time. I think that's too Britain though. So. Yeah, well, you know, the problem with flying supersonic is you you're not going to have time for a movie, uh, or a drink. Or a drink you know. <laughs> I mean, that's the one. The great things about you can't six go to the half, bathroom. <laughs> six and a half hours to cross the Atlantic is the perfect amount of time to get drunk, have a meal, watch a movie, have did a sleep. You, did you see so, the inside of this thing, Steve? And sober up. Did you see the inside of this thing? Only, no, I've only, seen, I've only seen outside rendering. Oh, they they have the. Two seats, one on each side of the aisle. You have a desk. You have a desk in front of you. Yeah, I remember seeing the inside renderings of the new Boeing seven eight seven, and um, they were, you know, they had bar and they had showers and they had, and then you know, people like American Airlines and United and British Airways, they buy them and then they go. We can get 400 seats in this. Yeah, we just should do it. But yeah, this is so, so the, if, if you look at it, to give you an idea of the, the width of the, the body of it, it, there's only two seats. So two seats in an aisle, because you, you're talking window, window on, yeah. on each side of those seats. So the, the, that's a pretty, pretty narrow, narrow um, well, I mean, I flew on Concorde a few, uh, a few times. Well, how, uh, how wide the, the fuselage of the the Concorde? Well, it's 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 two seats either side of the aisle, and that's it. Okay, so it's a little and bit it's bigger. got and it's got the world's smallest windows. I mean, you know, these are these are not conventional Boeing windows in the Concorde. These are, you know, you could span the window with your hand easily. Oh, so you uh, have flown the Concorde. I have flown the Concorde. So is there a difference between supersonic and in in uh, regular flight? Uh, not that you can perceive while you're on the aircraft. Yeah, apart from the, uh, at the end of the cabin wall, the you've got the mag meter, um, which is just an LED like a clock, mm-hmm. and then one point it sort of goes zero point seven point eight point nine point nine nine, and then it goes to one. And you feel a slight, uh, it's not even turbulence bump. Like a shudder? Not even that. It's its an imperceptible bump. Oh, okay. Um, and that's it. Uh, and then um, you get a similar effect on the way back down again through Mach 1. Hmm. But you wouldn't know. I mean, the only, the biggest difference with Concorde um, is... First of all, the takeoff, because the thing accelerates twice as fast as any other plane. So is so there you, a G-force against it? That's pretty... So, yeah. I mean, you know how when, when the normal Boeing accelerates down the runway, you get pushed back into your seat? Well, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, this 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 properly puts you back in your seat. Oh, okay. Um, and the other thing is when you're cruising, so when you're sort of mid-flight, if you look out the window, you know, on a on a normal flight, you can see the clouds and you can see the you can identify things on the ground right. and blah blah blah. Concorde is twice as high. So the sky is actually uh, dark blue. Like a oh, cool. 
and you can you you could you can't i don't think you know people say you can see the curvature of the earth maybe you can from the cockpit where you've got a much wider horizon right, right. um but you definitely know that you're very much higher Interesting. Uh, but that's really the only difference and I the know food's what, better I know we're coming down to the end of the show and it's one other topic I just want to do a quick touch on was, and I posted it on my Facebook page is, did you see the the fish that they captured a live fish I thought it was a coelacanth at first because I did looks, too it's, you, great it doesn't thing. look like a coelacanth it does, it does, but they're, they're saying no it's uh, I can't say the name I'm not even going to try <laughs> Yeah, but it's it must be related to the coelacanth. Well, it would make sense though if it was around during those era. Yeah. It would be you know similar, right? Oh, cousin of the coelacanth. Yeah, poor cousin. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just goes to show. I mean, how little we or, or how much we're still learning about mm-hmm. about the planet we live on. Um, you know, I mean, the world around us does bizarre things. Uh, I mean, like we live. Um, you know, quite a ways north of you, um, but quite a ways south of the Arctic Circle. And our local holiday resort for the last three months has been the home to a walrus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been a huge tourist attraction. In fact, uh, as we come into tourist season, every every um, holiday Let's go show, see the walrus. Well, no, every gift shop now sells walrus-related gifts. So <laughs> Walrus chocolate cushions, fridge magnets, um, beer glasses. There's even walrus wine, uh, beer. Oh, that's funny. Um, well, it wouldn't. It was funny up until today, because right. well, today's the start of the tourist season, and the walrus has moved off. He's gone to Cornwall. Thank God he's smart. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's Get now the an awful out of lot, town. <laughs> there's an awful lot of cushions, chocolate bars, beers, and souvenirs now, but no Wally the walrus. Oh, so sad. So yeah. now they're all saying, "Bring the walrus back." <laughs> so they should they should capture one and then bring him in the town and uh, well, feed. <laughs> well, I mean, nature's even more bizarre because as you know the walrus has come from the uh, near the North Pole from Spitsbergen. Right. Um, but this week rocked up into uh, the same harbour are two um, uh, sea otters. Now, these have come from way south of us. These are big, like Labrador dog size. And oh. um, they've taken they've taken up home. And so we've got them migrating now from the north and the south. It's like there 10 go. They're on so holiday. So they'll be selling little sea otters in the gift Well, shores. I'm waiting for the sea monster. Yeah, that's, I mean that's that's my thing, you know. I mean, after the discovery of this fish, there's stuff out there we don't know about that. And you know, of all the 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 paranormal stuff, we gotta go anyways. But uh, the uh, to me, the sea serpent, the cryptozoology is the most interesting. That it's probably be the most provable. I would think. I I think one day we'll find out the answer to Nessie. I, I hope so. Anyways, we do have to go. Steve, I want to thank you so much for uh, staying with me for uh, two hours. Yeah. God bless you for that. Uh, I, and, have to be, uh, I have to be awake be, be in four and a half hours' time. Oh, you're a fool then. <laughs> in fact, so, I'm thinking about the time, I have to be awake before you're asleep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, we do have to go. Thanks for listening. Uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles. Uh, what are we? Next Generation, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Memorex Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Galant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, our good friends of Patreon on Ghost Chronicles Radio. And we are, uh, whatever. Good night. God bless and keep your stick out. Thanks again, Steve. Good night. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.